I want you to turn to the person next to you, someone around you, and just say to them, happy birthday. Happy birthday. How many did not know that today was your birthday? Did you know that? Today is your birthday. It's everyone's birthday. Seriously, because today on the church calendar is the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Today, today is the Feast of Pentecost, and it was a Jewish Feast of Pentecost when the disciples were gathered together in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came, and with the sound of a mighty wind and the appearance of what looked like uh, tongues of fire on their heads, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in languages, or they spoke in tongues, languages they did not know. And so Pentecost has become known as the day that the church was born. So happy birthday. How many want to go out now and celebrate with a cake? Amen. Amen. Ellen, you've got some orders to take. All right. <laughs> Let's read about Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the, and, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Then, or, or some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, you know, you're always going to have some people making fun. They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this was the fulfillment of the first portion of that. The second portion is still yet to be fulfilled. But you know, when we look at Acts chapter 2, what we see is the church at its very inception. 
We see the birth of the church. We see the church as it was birthed by God. So today we're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at four characteristics which we see from the very start of the church. These are things that God wants in the church. This is the church that God, as God created it. It's the church as God wants it to be. So let's look at these four things. To begin with, God wants a church that has an atmosphere in which he is free to move. He wants a church with an atmosphere in which he is free to move. Um, and, you know, when we read this chapter, usually what stands out right away, what captures our attention is the unusual things that took place. I mean, all of a sudden there's a sound of a tornado, of a violent rushing wind. There was no wind, or it doesn't say there was wind. It just says that there was the sound of a rushing and mighty wind. So it sounds like a tornado. That's what, that's what it sounded like. Uh, and then they saw what looked like tongues of fire resting on their heads, came, came down and then separated and went and rested on each one of their heads. And when this happened, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in tongues. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that today, they get freaked out and say, what do you mean speaking in tongues? And they get scared of it. Imagine what it was like for them all of a sudden, they're hearing this. You know, this had never happened before. Um, and, you know, they began speaking in languages they didn't even know. God was moving in a way unlike anything they had ever seen before. But I want to draw your attention to the verse before this. To the verse before all of this happens. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered in one place. It's easy to miss this, but we need to see that the disciples had cultivated an atmosphere in which God was free to move. And there were specifically two things here that contributed to this atmosphere. The first of these is there was obedience to his word. This is important to see because often we just skip over this. Okay, yeah, they were all gathered in, in, you know, in the upper room together. And that when we look at this, it's, it's, it, we're looking at not something that it tells us, but something that rather it shows us. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he, or just before he ascended into heaven. The followers of Jesus, you know, they were, they were all gathered in one place because of the word that he had given them just before the ascension. That word was from Acts chapter 1. It said, he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were together in the room because they were obeying what Jesus said to go, to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that the Father had promised. They were waiting expectantly. That's why they were gathered together in the upper room, waiting, because that's what Jesus told them to do. God wants a church that's going to obey. He wants a church that is going to do the things that he has told the church to do. He told them, go wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And that's what they did. What does he tell us? 
He tells us things like feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the poor and the marginalized. He tells us things like love your enemy. He tells us things like heal the sick. Things like prefer others above yourself. God has given us his word to tell us how he expects us and how he wants us to live. He has given us word to not only instruct us, but also to help us get back on track for those times when we miss it. And that's why we need the Bible. Because through it, we see what God wants for our lives. We see what God wants for our individual lives, and we see what he wants for our church life, the life of the church. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. All scripture. I don't know how many times I've read, been reading through the Bible as I, and as I go through it, um, I see something, I, I'm going through a passage that maybe I've read a hundred times before. And one, you know those passages you just want to skip over real fast? You know, let's be honest. Everybody here who's, who's not willing to lie, raise your hand. You know, we all have those passages that we just want to skip over and get through this. You know, sometimes when I slow down, I don't always, but sometimes when I slow down and read those passages, God shows me something in there that he wants me to notice. So it's always good as we read through, you know, just to, to slow down and then read it with, uh, read it with care. So anyway, the early church created this atmosphere where God was free to move because they were committed to obeying his word. They weren't going to move from that place until the Holy Spirit came. They were going to continue to wait in Jerusalem, continue to wait until the, the promise from the Father came. And the second thing that that demonstrated uh, 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 that they were that there was an, or that helped to build rather an atmosphere where God was free to move was faith in His promise. They demonstrated faith in His promise. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, and they believed Him. In Acts one, Jesus said, "For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." And then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told them and they took him at his word. They believed him. That's why they were together in the upper room. They were waiting on what was promised. They had faith in Jesus' promise. They didn't fully comprehend what all he meant. Well, what do you mean baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What, 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 what do you mean? They didn't fully comprehend it, but they knew that Jesus had promised it. And if Jesus promised it, it was going to be good and that they needed it. <clears throat> so they waited with faith in his promise. They waited in obedience and full faith in his promise. They didn't want to miss out on anything that Jesus had promised, was, uh, uh, had promised them and that his promise was coming for them. 
You know, in the same way, God has promises for us. He's got promises for you. He's got promises for me. And, and he's got promises for this church that he wants us to step into. And the way we step into his promises is to step out in faith in those promises and in obedience to do the things that he said we are to do. And as we do that, to rely on his power. Second thing, God wants a church in which he is free to move. And then second thing he wants is he's a church that grabs the attention of the community. And I might say for the right reasons. Think about that. When you read the book of Acts, you see a church that could not be ignored. As you go throughout the book, it wasn't just quietly sitting in the background. The early church caused quite a stir in the community, but it wasn't because of what they stood against. Sometimes as a church, we become more known for what we're against, right? They created a stir not because of what they stood against, but because of what they stood for. It's easy to get caught up in all the wrong that's in our society, and there's plenty of it. But change comes when we stop complaining about what is wrong and simply start doing and working for what is right. Change comes when we rely less on the power of protest and more on the power of God. Now, let me clarify, I'm not against protest. There are times when we need to protest. There's times when I protest. I'm, I'm not saying that, that there's no place for that. There is. But what we need more than walking in protest is to walk in the power of a life that's been changed by God. That's what will make a difference. That's what will really get the notice of the community. That's what will 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 grab their attention. The power, that's the power that came at Pentecost, and that's a power of a spirit-filled life. In Acts 2, after the sound of this mighty wind and the appearance of tongues of fire over their heads, the 120 believers in the upper room were empowered to do what they couldn't do before. And in this instance, it was to speak in languages they didn't know. But God was moving. God was evidently and obviously moving, and the community took notice. I want to ask, does the community take notice of us when we walk in the things that, that God empowers us to do? If I would say that as we are walking in those things, yes, that's when they do take notice. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, it says in, in, in verse 7, it's utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native languages? And he lists all these places that they were from. And, and you know, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what in the world is going on? What does all this mean? Because they took notice that God was doing something among them. When the power of the Holy Spirit is present in the church, and by the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about more, and yes, this building, you know, the, when we are gathered together, but more than that, I'm talking about when we go outside those doors. When we go to our jobs on Monday mornings, you know, when we're at the grocery store, you know, we, when, when, when the power of the Holy Spirit is present in the people of the church, 
then the people in the community around us can't help but take notice. God isn't looking for a church that huddles together behind closed doors because they're afraid of That's what the disciples did before the resurrection. I, I had somebody talk to me this morning. I can't give a lot of details, but they, they happened to just run into somebody, random person they didn't know, and uh, through a series of things, uh, ended up with a in a conversation with that person and found out that they were dealing, the, the, the person was dealing with the same kind of issues that this person had dealt with uh, in their life and recently in this past year and so forth. And there was a connection made by God. And, you know, and they told me, you know, I, I, it wasn't by accident that we ran into to, and started a conversation with this person. It wasn't by, and you're right, it wasn't by accident. It was God doing something. It was God setting something up. And there needs to be a sensitivity to that, 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 you know, it's not just when we come together in church and pray for each other. When we're out there, we never know when God's going to point somebody out, when God's going to bring somebody across our path, and he wants us to minister to them. He's not looking for a church to huddle doors. He's looking, you know, afraid of what's out there. Again, that was the disciples before the resurrection. But now that Christ is risen, and now that the Holy Spirit has come, he wants a church that's going to go out there into the community and be a witness by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. By that, I mean we rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk through life doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. Everything we do as a church, everything we do as a believer, we do for him, we do in him, and we do through his enabling power. That's when the community will take notice. And that's when they'll take notice of, of us for the right things. And yes, there will always be those who ridicule, those who mock, there will all be always, you know, be those who who you know make fun of, but you know, there will be many more who see it and say, what is it about them? There's just something every time I talk to them, every time I run into them, every time I see them, there's something about them. I don't know what it is, but I know that I want it. Because the love of God and the light of God is attractive. People are drawn to light. People are drawn. It's got an attractional quality. Third characteristic of the church God wants. He wants a church where everyone gets to play. Everyone. This is one of the core beliefs of the Vineyard Movement from, since its inception. The vineyard has always been about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that means the leadership equips and trains the people in, in the, the seats to do the work in the ministry, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The vineyard's always been about that. It's never been about a select few who get to do the work in the ministry. It's everyone. Now let's get a little bit more specific. That means everyone from any race, any race. Verse 17, 
first part of it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not some people, not a privileged people, not a few people, all people. God doesn't have a privileged race of people. He doesn't favor one over the other. When Peter preached in Acts 2, he quoted from the prophet Joel, and he said, in, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And again, not some, but all. In the kingdom of God, we need to realize and we need to, to, to get it ingrained in us. You know, we say, we, we like to say here, everybody's welcome to come to the church. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody, you know, all whatever your race is, whatever, everybody is welcome here. Well, that's true, but it's not the whole story. It's not just that we are all welcome. It's not just that all races are welcome to come in our doors. All races are needed. The church is not complete until we have a representation from every race. And that's when you look at heaven and you look in the book of Revelation, you see, you know, people from every tribe, nation and language surrounded around the throne of God. That's the church. And we are a part of the church here, but until we have all races represented, we are only, we, we are incomplete. We are incomplete. We need people of every race. We need their perspective. We need their input. We need their ideas. We need to see eyes we need to mix up our flavor of worship so that you know so that uh, all it, it includes all of that and, and and it may be you know that's not quite my flavor it doesn't matter if it's our brother or sister's flavor we need to get in on it and rejoice in it without that we only represent a portion of the church we need more racial diversity in our churches and in the leadership of our churches I thought of something today and I debated on whether or not I was going to say it, but I'm going to say it. Racism in any form spits in the face of Christ. Racism in any form spits in the face of Christ. We have come a long way in this country but we still have a very long way to go. So we need people of any race. In addition, men and women. Second part of verse 17, your sons and daughters will prophesy. We need both men and women serving in and leading the church. Both. Both. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how both men and women served and led in the early church. So I'm not going to go over all of it again. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message from a couple of weeks back called Hidden Figures, looking at some of the hidden figures in Romans 16. But I want to emphasize, though, that we need both men and women. You know, there are some people that still think that women should be silent in the church. And I say still think as if it's been a 
throughout church history, but it hasn't been throughout church, church history. It's been, if you read the text as it's supposed to be read, you can see that, you know, it wasn't until like the 20th century that that really became a thing because in the early church, women were involved in every aspect of ministry. History tells us that. It's just based on this, 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 that concept is based on a misunderstanding of one verse in one of Paul's letters, but it ignore, completely ignores what Paul says here and elsewhere. Or this wasn't Paul, but, but where, what the Bible says here and elsewhere. God said that in the last days, he would pour out his spirit on all people, men and women. And he said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. How are they going to prophesy if they're silent? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The truth is we have example, as I said, of men and women ministering and leading in both the Old and New Testaments. Everyone gets to play, regardless of gender. And by getting to play, I mean both men and women get to do the work of the ministry, whether it's healing the sick, comforting the hurting, leading in worship, teaching, preaching, leading the church. What any particular person gets to do is not based on gender, it's based on gifting and calling regardless of what gender is. And what that means for you is that when you are praying about how to get involved, how God might want to get for you to get involved in the church, the questions you need to consider have to do with what is your passion and how are you gifted, not what's allowed to do because of your gender. What is your passion and how are you gifted? Now, God also wants a church where people of any age are free to use their gifts. Any age. Last part of verse 17 into verse 18. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Young or old, God has a place where he wants to use you. You're not too young, you're not too old. Too often the church tends to look only at people within a certain age range, but we need people of all ages. We need the passion, the zeal, the energy of the young. And we need the wisdom and the age, that the, 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 the wisdom that only age and experience brings, life experiences. You know, Tuesday night, several of us met to look at the various needs in the community. Say, so we listed on one side of the board, okay, what are some of the needs that we see in the community? And we listed on the other side of the whiteboard, you know, okay, what are some things that we can do, you know, with, with just, you know, not putting any limitations on at this point? What are the same things that we can do to address some of these needs? And uh, just kind of brainstorming and how we can, can better meet some of the needs in our community. Nine-year-old J.D. was sitting in the meeting and asked, am I too little to organize something? Nine years old, am I too little to organize something? And I loved it when Debbie responded, said she just read of a six-year-old uh, boy, I think it was, who just organized something, you know, to, to, to help someone else, had just did this big thing. And I don't remember what it was, but, but you know, so I would say, no, you're never too young to do something for God. And I think that got me thinking a few years back when Lily was about seven, the Lord put it on her heart. You know, she said to her mom one day, said, um, we need to have a prayer meeting tonight at the church. We need to have a dinner and we need to have a prayer meeting. And it's tonight. And, and she was she was serious. So 
the Lord put it on our heart to organize a prayer meeting for the church that night. Everybody would come together for a meal and then pray for the church and the community. So an email was put out last minute to everyone. We threw together a spaghetti dinner and Lily led the prayer meeting that night. She stood right up here and led the church in prayer. And we had a good turnout that night. And the Spirit of God was on her. She was seven. We read in 2 Chronicles 34 that tells us that Josiah, you know how old he was when he became king of Judah? He was eight. He was eight years old. You see, the young are not the church of tomorrow. And the older ones, those of us that are older, we're not the church of yesterday. The whole church is the church of today. And every member of the congregation, no matter how young or old, has a role to play. And we each need, we, we need each and every one. Each and every person has a role to play. Fourth, God wants a church that proclaims the gospel. Verse 21 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The church is more than just an organization that does good works in the community. The good works are an important part. We don't really fully complain, uh, complain don't really fully proclaim the gospel without works that go with it that put our money where our mouth is, so to speak. But contained in the message of the gospel is the message of salvation. The fact is every one of us has sinned. Every one of us is in need of that sin to be taken away so that we can stand in right relationship with God. Without that, you don't have the full message of the gospel. You have a lot of good works. You have a lot of good sounding things, but without Without forgiveness of sin, there is no salvation. Without that, we don't, have, we don't have the gospel. That's why Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and showing that this is what was prophesied what the, by the prophet Joel, it's exactly what he said was going to happen, then he turns to the people and, and says that they must turn from their sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so their sins could be forgiven. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there's no salvation. Without salvation, there is no relationship with God. We must not forget that. God wants a church that both proclaims and demonstrates the gospel. And to do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, which Peter says is promised to everyone who believes. Not a few, not some, not those that are holier than others. There is none of that. When you call in the name of the Lord and you ask uh, uh, forgiveness for your sin, you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes. Every single one. It's going to look different in one person's life than in another. Some might have a powerful experience like they did in, the, in, in Acts chapter 2, and others it might be a quiet experience. Some, something may happen much later.
but the Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who believes. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, not might, but will. And we can't do the work Jesus left his church to do without the presence of the Holy Spirit empowering our lives, every single one of us. So, today we need to ask ourselves, how do we line up with the early church? When you put us with the early church, how do we line up? Do we cultivate an atmosphere where God is free to move? Is he free to move in this place? Is he free to do whatever he wants in this place, even if it surprises us? Does the community take notice of us for the right things? For the right, I love it when I hear a story of someone and they, they say, well, what church are you with? Oh, I'm with the venue. Oh, I know those people. They're always doing this or they're always doing that. I love that when we're known for the right things. Do we let everyone play or do we put limitations on who can play? Limitations that the Bible doesn't put on them. And do we preach the message of salvation? Do we proclaim the gospel? The extent to which we can accomplish these things will determine how effective we are as a church. The early church was more than just a social gathering. <coughs> Excuse me. There were God's people who were committed to doing God's work and they changed the course of history. That's a church I wanna be. The church as it came into existence on the day of Pentecost. I want to be a church. I want to be a believer who walks in the power of Pentecost in my everyday life. You may be here in Maybe you've never taken the step of giving your life to Jesus Christ in the first place. Maybe you've heard some things. But you can't say that you know him or have a relationship with him. If that's you, I want you to know you do not have to leave here today without that. I want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. because I want people to be free to respond without thinking who's around them and what they're thinking. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you want one, you need to know that he is inviting you into that. That's why you are here today. And it's a simple a matter of putting your faith in him, that Jesus Christ went to the cross and was crucified. He died, was buried, and then he rose from the dead on the third day. And because of that, you can have your sins forgiven and you can come into relationship with God. And if that's you and that's what you want, 
with nobody looking around. We're just going to take a second, but I just want you to raise your hand, raise it high so I can see it. I'm just going to take a second. If you're ready, you're ready. If you're not, you're not. But I want to give the opportunity. Okay, then there's one other thing I want to do. I want to, I want to, I want to pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and rest on us. Holy Spirit, we want to be the church that God intends us to be. And we need you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Rest on us. We want to absorb your presence. We want to soak you in like a sponge that's plunged in a bucket of water. Our very being, we want to be saturated with your presence. Give us clarity as we're reading your word, as we're reading the word, that we would have understanding, that our ears would be open to the voice of our Father, that our eyes would be open to the things that you are setting before us. Empower us to live as Jesus wants us to live, as Jesus showed us how to live. Empower us. As we celebrate this day of Pentecost, let this be a Pentecost in our own lives where there's a fresh filling. Lord, we need your, the filling of your Holy Spirit every single day. Let this be a fresh filling. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us, lead us, touch us, guide us, empower us. Help us stay focused on the things that Jesus has told us to do, has given us to do. Open our minds with ideas and ways we can do the work of the kingdom that you've given us to do. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we dismiss, um, just want to mention um, if you brought your tithes and offerings, we have boxes by the door. You can drop them in on your way out, uh, or you can give electronically, uh, or uh, mail a check to the to our post office box. Um, you know all of that. So, uh, with that, I want you to stand. Also, want to make mention we are still uh, collecting for the roof. 
we're going to be getting a new roof and uh, I had a number but I can't remember it what we what we still need for it but um, still need was it 12 12,000 something that that we still need for and this is you know all act after insurance and and what the money had that has been that has come in so far uh, so we need about 13,000 still to go on that. So um, if you would like to put something to that, just mark on your check or, or when you give online, make sure you make note of it in, with the drop down menu. Um, that that's where you want to uh, uh, give your offering. And again, that's above and beyond tithe. So let me leave you with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be ever so gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you that peace that only in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go out and have a great, empowered week, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll see you Sunday.